team for your gracious leading of us this morning and that very special time of singing. I'm so very grateful for your ministry to us. A few weeks ago, Ellen and I were discussing together what it was that the Lord would have us to give to the ministry vision that we believe the Lord is laying before us here at Bethel entitled Taking New Steps. And initially, um, Ellen and I had uh, a little bit of a struggle over this. Uh, we both view finances differently. That's not uncommon that a husband and a wife uh, look at the finances in their family a little bit differently. Ellen and I grew up in families that had the very same values, uh, but my father worked for the government. And so that made our finances uh, a little bit different than Ellen's finances. Uh, we wrestled through that together, and finally we decided what it was that we felt the Lord wanted us to commit, and so a couple of weeks ago, when I placed that commitment in the offering plate, uh, there was a sense in my heart, Lord, this is what we believe you want us to give to this vision that you are laying before us. Can you believe this? The next day, Monday, a check that was completely unexpected from an unexpected source arrived in the mail. And when we opened it and looked at it, <clears throat> it was over 10% of the amount that we had just committed the day before. And Ellen and I looked at each other and we said to each other, we know that the Lord knows we are trying to honor Him with our finances and this is his way of saying to us, I will take care of you. Now, I am not going to tell you this morning that if you give on a Sunday, you will receive a check on Monday. Uh, if you're disappointed in that, I'm not going to tell you that. I do not believe in the heresy of seed faith giving as promoted by Or Roberts and others. It is wrong to give in order to get. How selfish manipulation of God can there be? So I'm not going to say that to us this morning. But I am going to say this morning that I do very much believe this. Let's read it together. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness... And all these things shall be added unto you. I do believe that this morning. Amen? Absolutely. Amen. Now this morning, as we continue in our series in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is applying to us the principles of the Lord's Prayer, we come to this section in which Jesus talks to us about God's provision. And so I want to bring a message this morning entitled, uh, What Jesus Has to Say About God's Provision. And Jesus will do two things. First, he will analyze God's provision by arguing from the lesser to the greater. And then as a good, great, and master teacher like he is, he will apply to us very specifically, what God's provision in our life means. 
So let's begin, shall we? Let's open our Bibles together to Matthew chapter 6. And I want to begin by reading the first part where Jesus analyzes for us God's provision. And I want you to look with me at verses 25 down to verse 30. And listen to what our Savior says. Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Now what Jesus does here in these verses is he uses a very well-known rabbinic argument from the greater or from the lesser to the greater. If you look with me at these verses you'll notice the little word more uh, repeated. It is found in verse 25, it is found in 26, it is found in 30, and as we will see, it is implied in verse 27. This was a typical rabbinic argument the rabbis would use from the lesser to the greater. And what Jesus is saying in using this argument is if God cares for the little things, then surely he will care for the more important things. And Jesus uses this form of teaching to give us four reasons why God will provide and therefore four reasons why we ought not to be anxious and worried about his provision. Now, let's look at them together, shall we? Uh, the first argument is in verse 25. And the lesser important thing that Jesus mentions is food and clothes. We could call this our basic needs. The greater important thing that Jesus mentions is the soul and the body. We could call this life itself. It's interesting that the Greek word for um, life here in verse 25 is the word suke which is the normal word for soul. We get our English word psyche from this word. And in identifying the soul and the body, Jesus is referring to the two parts of human nature, uh, the material and the immaterial. You may be aware that there is a long-running debate in uh, Christian history over do we have three parts, body, soul, and spirit, that's called trichotomy, or do we have two parts, just simply body and soul, that's called dichotomy? Now, I have always been a dichotomist, because as I look at the New Testament, I see that the words soul and spirit are synonyms. They're used interchangeably, they're used overlappingly, 
And so it appears as though uh, they are synonyms. Now, it's interesting here that Jesus appears to affirm dichotomy because he mentions only two parts. He mentions the soul and the body. Now, God gave to us a body because we live in a physical world. And in a physical world, we need a physical body so we can serve God. But God also gave us a soul so that we could have relationships. Relationships with God. Relationships with one another. Relationships that are meaningful and enriching. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. Which is more important? The body and soul, life itself, or food and clothing, the basic needs of life? Well, it's very obvious, isn't it? If God gave us life itself, then supplying our basic needs is a very minor matter to Him. And so this first argument is God gave us life, then we can trust Him to meet our minor needs. Let's look at the second argument. The second argument in verse 26 is the lesser thing in verse 26 are the birds of the air. We might call this the natural creation. Now, uh, the Mideast is full of birds. Um, One Bible student called the Mideast the crossroads of bird migration. And it's interesting, if you go back to the Old Testament, to Leviticus chapter 11... Verses 13 to 19, there God mentions uh, 20 kinds of unclean birds. That's just the unclean birds in the Mideast that God mentions. One of the birds that is mentioned is the raven. And it's interesting, in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 12, Jesus particularly singles out the raven. Now, all of us know that birds are not lazy creatures. We know that. Uh, They don't sit on a twig from sunup to sundown waiting for food to drop into their mouths. Uh, They work very hard from sunup to sundown. But what is Jesus' point? Jesus' point in verse 26 is they must depend upon God for their food. Uh, They uh, can't farm, and if they could farm, they cannot store that food in barns for the next year. So Jesus' point that he is making is they have to live one day at a time finding the food that only God provides for them. Now notice in verse 26, the greater important thing that Jesus mentions is you. He says if if God takes care of them, will he not, the heavenly Father, take care of you? And who are we? Well, we are the crown of God's creation. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you will be reminded that the birds were created on the fifth day, Genesis 1, 20 to 23. But mankind was created on the sixth day, Genesis 1, 24 to 31, 
because mankind is God's crowning creation because, as Jesus had just said, we've been given a body and a soul and therefore we are made in the image of God. Now notice how Jesus makes this so very clear. Verse 26, the birds are God's creation, but as believers, God is your heavenly Father. Now think of what what our Lord is saying. If God provides for a raven, which is a scavenger bird, was considered unclean by the Jewish people, how much more will he provide for the crown of his creation, you and me? I'll never forget one morning, um, I was looking out the back window, and uh, a fox came trotting uh, through the backyard towards the front yard. Uh, The fox had a dead furry critter in its mouth. And uh, I was very anxious to watch this fox all the way through the front yard and across the street into the woods. And so I ran quickly from the back of the house to the front of the house to look out the window. And when I did, I made a noise that startled the fox. He dropped the furry critter and looked around for the noise. Not seeing me up in the window, he uh, uh, just kind of calmed down and, and just reached down, picked up his furry breakfast, and continued on across the street. But he didn't get it all. Uh, evidently, it had come apart, and uh, part of the furry critter remained. As soon as the fox disappeared across the street in the woods, a crow flew down, picked up the rest of the furry creature, and flew off that morning with breakfast. I thought to myself, I think I've just been a part of the food chain. (laughs) By startling the fox, it dropped its breakfast. When it picked up its breakfast, it left half of it behind. And a crow sitting up on a branch, when it disappeared, came down, picked up its breakfast, and flew off. And I thought to myself, Lord, you have just used me to help a crow find its morning breakfast. Well, if God can do that for a bird, what can he do for you and for me? How incredible that is. Let's look at the third argument from the lesser to the greater. In verse 27, the lesser important thing is trying to add a single hour to our life. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Now, that is a very little thing. By the way, have you ever estimated how many hours you have uh, lived since you've been alive? Very interesting thing to estimate um, how long you've been living by the hour. Uh, I estimated this week that by 9 o'clock this morning, just about right now, I have lived 492,225 hours. Now, Pastor Hank uh, has lived 10 years, 6 days longer than me. 
he has lived almost 580,000 hours. Pastor Hank, you have logged a lot of time. You have logged a lot of time. Now, you know what? Adding one hour to 580,000, that's a very little thing. Pastor Hank can do many things. I admire the many things he can do. But one thing he cannot do is add one hour to 580,000. That's a very little thing. But look what God is able to do. The greater important thing that God is, can do is He can give long life. Now, every Jew knew Psalm 91:16. Sometime you can turn there, and what you will discover is that God says He can satisfy those who are loyal to Him with long life. The Hebrew expression is very graphic in Psalm 91, 16. It literally means length of days. God can satisfy those who are loyal to Him with length of days. Listen to what the Bible is saying. God can lengthen our days of our lives. Now, again, follow the argument of Jesus here. If God has the power to add years to our life, surely then He can sustain life during those years. It is the classic argument from the lesser to the greater. Let's look at the fourth argument that Jesus gives to us. The fourth argument in verses 28 to 30 is the lesser thing, found in verses 28 and 29, and then in verse 30, are the wild lilies of the field or the grass. Now what we could call this is the temporary creation. Uh, By the way, the lily here in verse uh, 28 is the purple wild lily of Palestine. Uh, Look at this purple wild lily. Isn't that an incredible flower? Uh, In the springtime and throughout the summer in Palestine, these wild flowers are found in the hills of Galilee. Now these flowers are completely helpless. Uh, Jesus says about them that they do not spin, nor do they labor, Because they're wild, there is no human cultivation that makes them grow and makes them thrive. So these are even more helpless than the birds. At least the birds from sunup to sundown are looking for their food. But the wild lilies, they can't even do that much. And yet notice what Jesus says, yet Solomon in all his splendor could not match the beauty of these wild purple lilies. Uh, Very interesting, I looked up in the Old Testament how wealthy a man Solomon was. Sometime look up 1 Kings 10, 14, and it says that Solomon received 25 tons of gold every year. 25 tons of gold every year. 
Now, do you know what the price of gold per ounce is right now? It's $1,192 per ounce. Do you know what 25 tons of gold at today's going price is worth? You ready? It is worth $953 billion. $600 million. That's the amount of gold in today's price Solomon received every single year. He was probably the richest man the world has ever seen. Uh, Do you think he could afford some pretty beautiful clothes? Yes, he could. And yet, let's look together at this purple lily up close. Let's look at it. Look at that. Look at the exquisite beauty. Look at the subtle variableness in the shades of purple. Look at the fine, delicate texture of this flower. Solomon, in all of his beauty, could not match clothes like this. Now, notice then how Jesus transitions to the greater important thing. The greater important thing is you and me. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, verse 30 which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The life cycle of wildflowers and grass is one growing season. In fact, at the end of the growing season, the Sirocco wind that comes off the desert, Sinai Desert, from the southeast, can actually be watched to wither grass and flowers right before your eyes as it comes uh, flowing across the land. In fact, you remember in the book of Jonah how the gourd grew up and the Sirocco wind came and wilted it right before Jonah's eyes. And then because fuel was very scarce in Palestine and people needed fuel for their clay ovens, When the grass and the flowers would uh, wilt, they would go out, gather it up, and place it into their ovens for fuel. But now notice what Jesus is saying about us. We have an eternal soul. We have a body that will be resurrected. We will live forever in heaven. If God can give such beautiful array to a perishing flower... Can he not provide for us the ordinary clothes we need to live with? Well, obviously he can. And so it is an argument from the lesser to the greater. By the way, if you are prone to worry here this morning, here are four reasons why you ought not to be a worrier. God is such a wonderful God that he has given you life itself. You are the crown of his creation He can lengthen your days if he so desires. And because you are born again by the blood of Jesus Christ into the family of God, you will live forever in the presence of God. With all that being true, why should anyone worry? Amen this morning?
Amen. Jesus is a great teacher. He doesn't leave us here with just the arguments for why God will provide. As a great teacher, he applies that to our life. And this morning, what I want us to do now is move to Jesus' application of God's provision. Would you look at me at verse 31 and notice what he has to say. So, so, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble for its own. Let's take a few moments to look together at Jesus' very important applications, all right? Let me give you the first two. Here they are. Don't be distracted by lesser things like the unbelievers are. Instead, Jesus says, as a child of God, do prioritize the greater things, promoting God's rule and right living. What a tragedy it is when the people of God live for the wrong priorities in life. What Jesus is saying here is God has promised to care for us, therefore, we should not get absorbed in the lesser things of life. We are God's crowning creation. We have a body and a soul to serve God in a physical universe, to have a relationship with Him and with one another, and we will live forever. We have a very great purpose. Now that purpose is no more clearly defined than in verse 33 when he says, here's the purpose God has given every one of us. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and then you can know all of these things will be added unto you. Notice what our great purpose is. When he describes God's kingdom, that is a reference to God's rule. God is now extending his rule in the hearts of people through the preaching and the sharing of the gospel as they come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and experience his salvation. Someday the Bible says when Jesus returns, the very rule of God is going to be manifested on earth when Christ establishes his kingdom. But right now, right this very moment, when we participate with God by praying, by serving, by giving, we are partnering with God by extending his rule around the world. What we offer to God, He takes and He extends His rule in the lives of people through the salvation of Christ here and around the world. Notice that purpose is also His righteousness. There the word righteousness means right living. Now here's what happens when you become a Christian. We receive the righteousness of God as a gift 
uh, Christ's righteousness, which he won for us on the cross, is applied to our very lives, and we are fully and perfectly accepted by the Father in heaven. Then because our hearts have been changed by a new nature, we now can live out that righteousness in a watching world. And so as they watch us living right, they begin to see what it means to live under the rule of God and some of them seeing it are attracted to what they see. And many place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as well. You see, that's our purpose. Our purpose is to promote His rule in the lives of others, and to live right, so they will be attracted to his rule. Now then follow what Jesus is saying. We should not get sidetracked like non-believers do in the itty-bitty priorities of life. Let me say that again. How tragic it would be for us to get sidetracked like non-believers do in the itty-bitty priorities of life. You see, Jesus is saying to us, non-believers are distracted by things. Uh, Look at verse 32 again for just a moment. Notice what he says. For the pagans run after all these things. It is interesting, in the original Greek language, the phrase these things is put first in the sentence because Jesus wants to emphasize what the non-believing world lives for. They live for things. They have wrong priorities because they do not know God and therefore trust His care. They have all kinds of worries. All kinds of worries. Do you know when the goal of life is to accumulate things? You then have to spend your life trying to keep those things and trying to protect those things. And you know what that takes? That takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? And what that does is it multiplies worries because when you lose the things that you are living for, then you have nothing that gives you meaning in life. And so see what Jesus is saying to us. Don't be distracted by the lesser things in life. That's what non-believers live for. Instead, prioritize the greater things, promoting God's rule and right living. Now notice the third application. This is just so very beautiful. Finally, Jesus says, do enjoy the peace that daily trust in God's provision gives to us. Look at verse 34, and we need to understand the relationship of 34 to 33. Jesus concludes by saying, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you know, this verse is the fruit of verse 33. When we are living according to verse 33, then verse 34 is the fruit of that. Um, What is very interesting is the word worry comes from the Greek word merizo. And it is a word that means to divide, to draw in different directions. It means to distract. 
What worry is, is borrowing trouble from the future because we are distracted by the wrong priorities and we cannot trust God. That's the way the non-believer lives. But here's what Jesus is saying. When we are living for eternity, we have no worries because our treasures are in heaven. Having our treasures in heaven, we lift up our eyes from all the lesser itty-bitty things of this world, and we lift up our eyes to where our Heavenly Father is, and looking up to our Heavenly Father, and realizing I've placed my treasures there with Him, we know that Heavenly Father, who has made me in His image, I'm the crown of His creation, has given me a very great purpose, and an eternal purpose will care for me, and therefore, lifting our eyes to that Heavenly Father, we trust Him. And the worries of this world melt away. Did you notice how Jesus put his finger right on it in verse 30? He said, Oh, you of little faith. You see, a believer without peace is a believer with little faith and living for little things. Is that you this morning? Is that me? Am I a believer without peace? Because I have little faith and I'm living for little things. Or understanding the greatness of God's provision for me. Have I prioritized the greater things, promoting God's rule and right living, and therefore I am enjoying the daily peace that trust in God provides because I'm one of his believing children. What a great application Jesus brings to all of our lives. As I thought about this this week, I I thought of my dear professor, uh, Howard Hendricks, who is now with the Lord. He said one morning in Dallas, where he lived, he uh, awoken early in the morning by the blaring of sirens and commotion Uh, out in the street across from his house. Uh, He kind of went to the blinds and to the uh, drapes and he opened them up and he looked out and and saw fire trucks uh, out on the street and he could tell that there was a crowd of neighbors who were gathering. His son was awakened by the very same commotion and both of them got dressed and hurriedly moved outside When they did, they were greeted with a sight very much like this. Their neighbor's house was engulfed with flames. As they got to the edge of the crowd, they edged their way through. There on the front lawn was the neighbor down on his knees, both of his fists pounding the ground, screaming, why, 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 why? As Prof. Hendricks and his son left that scene, went back across the street to their house, 
Prof. Hendricks asked his son this penetrating question. Son, if that was our house, what would we have lost? Isn't that a great question? I ask that to you today. I ask that to me. If we were to suddenly go home and find our house and all the possessions in it, some of which could never be recovered because they are uh, items of special concern and care to us. If that was our house going up in flames, what would we have lost? And here was Prof. Hendricks' answer to his own question. Absolutely nothing of eternal value. Absolutely nothing of eternal value. This morning, if we are living for the right things, that's our answer as well. You see, if we're living for the itty-bitty priorities of life, like most of the unsaved world around us is living, Then when they go up and smoke, we are on the front lawn shouting out, why, why, why? Because everything that has given us value is lost. But when we are living for the greater priorities, God's rule extended in this world through the offer of the gospel, right living to make that gospel attractive to all around us, Then when the worst happens, there's an amazing peace because we have not borrowed the worries of the future in the most disastrous situation because we know God will take care of me. What a wonderful way this is to live. How great this is to have this kind of God in our life. Let's take a moment, shall we, and let's thank Him for it. In just a moment, we're going to gather around the table of the Lord. And before we do, I just want us all to take a moment and examine our own life. Are we really living for the things that matter? Are we really seeking to promote God's kingdom? And living in a way that makes that kingdom attractive to all that are around us? Or if someone were to come and analyze our life and the things that we're consumed and distracted over, would they find that our priorities are very little different from our unsaved neighbors who have stayed home this morning. Let God speak to our hearts. Let Him redirect our trust and let Him redirect our commitment this morning. And let us say to him, Lord, I will seek first your kingdom.
I will seek first your righteousness. I know that when I do, all of these other things will take their place. They'll be added unto me. And therefore, I'll live in peace. I won't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And you will help me with that trouble. And therefore, I will walk and live by faith. Father, today, speak to our hearts. We are a very wealthy nation. And it is very hard for us to live with the right priorities. Many of us today, Lord, are distracted by so many little things. We have very little time to dig deep into your word to find out what your righteousness even is. Others of us, Lord, have buried our talents in the ground. And we have time for all kinds of pursuits but to pursue serving you and sharpening our talent is left behind. Father, we were created for a relationship with you and a relationship with each other. Those are the greatest things in life. And yet we can be so busy keeping and protecting the things that we have. That we don't know one another. We're not much more than strangers to each other. And how can we say, Lord, that we are seeking your kingdom and your righteousness if that is true of us? And so today, lift up our eyes. Help us, Lord, to see if our treasure is really in things above, not on things on the earth. And then help us in looking up to a great and loving Heavenly Father to put Him first and to trust in His wonderful care. We'll thank you and praise you. Thank you now for this special time of fellowship around your table. In Jesus' name.